Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Like, why are we reading James when we're in the book of Acts? This, this passage came to my mind as I was thinking about our passage today. When you think about a farmer and the patience of a farmer, you know, James is talking about there in the context long-suffering for the church, waiting for the justice of the Lord to come. But uh, that, that idea, that, that, that whole concept of, of the patience of a farmer is such a good metaphor that you can employ in various ways and places. For instance, uh, it's not just waiting for the rain. Um, sometimes it's waiting for the ground to be ready. I don't know whether the farmers here in Kansas have ever picked rock. Is that a, has everybody in Kansas ever even heard of the, the farming term, picking rock? Yeah? Okay, a few of you. I, I grew up in, in, in Indiana, and apart, you know, apart from the pioneers maybe, I don't remember anything about picking rock. But then we moved to Minnesota. And a weird thing happens in Minnesota. Never heard of it. A lot of things happen in Minnesota that are weird. I'll just say that right now. But uh, we got up there, and they said uh, something about, you know, the farmer in the spring was going to go out and pick rock. And I'm like, huh? hey, what? You know? And, uh, and they said, yeah, here's what happens. So the ground, uh, the ground in Minnesota freezes so deep. It, it, it'll freeze down sometimes like six feet down into the ground. And in the spring, when the thaw happens and that thaw works its way up through the soil, how it does this, I'm not, I don't understand the physics of it, but it pushes rock up with it. So a farmer could have had just a ah, pristine field in the fall as he harvests his, his crop and then in the spring he looks out there and it's, it, it looks like the, you know, the landscape of Mars and they have to hire young boys and young girls, you know, all with strong backs and weak minds to follow the tractor and the wagons. You know, the Swedes, they build them big up there. So, you know, an eighth grade girl can do this. You know, they just pick up the big rock and they throw it on. They work their way through the field until it's, until it's ready to plant. That's a kind of patience of a different sort than, than maybe that James is talking about here. But it's very close to the kind of patience that I think our passage is really talking to us about today. We're talking about being patient as we preach to pagans. And you may not like the word pagan. You're like, I'm not sure you're supposed to say that word from the pulpit, Pastor. That's, that sounds unkind. What is a pagan? And can you just go around calling people pagans? Yes, you can. It's an okay term. It's a real valid term because a pagan simply means, some people self-identify, by the way, as pagans today. There's sort of a new paganism that people are quite proud of. You know, Wiccans and people of that nature, they proudly call themselves pagan. But to be pagan just means you don't know the God of the Bible. You worship spirits of trees or nature or your ancestors or whatever else, but you do not understand that there is one God who made everything and to whom we owe everything. And, and we are in the, the business of preaching to them. Paul and Barnabas are, uh, they've moved from Iconium to Lystra. You're gonna miss Iconium once you get to Lystra, I'll tell you. Uh, Lystra is a different place. It's kind of a backwater area. You're like, I didn't know Iconium wasn't a backwater. Well, I tell you, Lystra by comparison is like Appalachia. 
They get back to Lystra. Lystra is, they speak a different language there. They speak Lyconian, which is kind of like the, the, you know, it's kind of to Greek what maybe Dutch is to English. So it's a different language. It's a different alphabet. But they worship the same basic gods that the Greeks worship. So you've got Zeus and Hermes like in the text and then all the rest of the, the pantheon of Roman and Greek gods. And, and the encounter at Lystra is like a case study for us. And it's a case study, I think, that is close to home. Yeah, I know it happened on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago, but there are so many similarities between the culture that they were speaking to and how our culture has become today. We as Christians are in a minority today. We are, we are living in the midst of pagans, and so it would do us well to understand what kind of patience is required. I grew up in Indiana where the farm ground there was well-watered, you didn't have drought. You plow, the field got plowed and tilled, and it was just ready to you know, do 200 bushel crops of corn and so forth. Um, our job here today is not Hoosier farming. It, it, is, uh, it is some Minnesota-type farming. It, it requires patience. For, so that's the big idea. We must employ patience when we proclaim the gospel to a pagan culture because, frankly, that is where we are today. We're going to look at some principles that we can take from the text and apply it to our situation. Yeah? How many are tracking with me so far? I hope this really encourages you today because honestly, I think we grow, we grow weary and, and we get worried when instead of being worried, we should just be patient when it comes to things that, that God wants to do with our church and with our community. So here's the first principle. They will respond to loving mercy. They will respond to loving mercy. So Paul and Barnabas, they're driven out of Iconium. They almost get stoned in Iconium. The Lystrans pull it off, but they almost get stoned in Iconium. They get to Lystra. It says, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. We don't know quite how long Paul had been at Lystra when this picks up and happens. Uh, Luke tells stories like that where you don't know the time passage. It's kind of like a movie. Have you ever? They call it in media's rest. How many have heard of that phrase, in media's rest? Yeah? It's like when you're watching a movie and it starts kind of halfway in the middle and then it backs up. But you're like right in the middle of the action. You didn't know there was a name for that. Now you know, in medias res. Uh, anyway, Luke could be picking up in medias res here. Like they, Paul could have been there for a week already. This could be the 18th time he's been out preaching. We, we just don't know. But there is this, this moment that happens there. He's preaching uh, not at the synagogue. Did you notice that? Is that different? Paul was always going to the Jew first and then the Greek. There's no mention of the synagogue there at, at all. We know there were some Jews in Lystra, but not many. Timothy, of all things, comes from Lystra. So, you know, he, he was half Jewish. So, yeah, but not a lot of Jews there. Anyway, so open-air preaching, probably close to the gate from uh, what we're picking up on in the, in the story there. And, uh, and you have this story of a healing that is very oddly familiar-sounding. Did any of the rest of you pick up on that and go, hey, wait a second, is this like a repeat? They're near a gate, and there's a man lame from birth, 
and he gets completely healed in a moment, and there's, and there's leaping and all of that stuff happening. It sounds very much, doesn't it, like what happened with, with Peter in, in Acts chapter 3, where he goes to the gate called Beautiful of the Temple, and there's the man, same guy, not same guy, but, but same situation, uh, lame from, it would be weird if it was the same guy, but he's lame from birth, and, 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 he, and he is sitting there, and uh, a, a very, very similar thing. But here, Instead of the guy looking and thinking he's going to receive alms, remember, he, that's all he thought he was getting when, when Peter looks at him. He thinks, oh, I'm going to get some money. In this case, the guy looks at Paul and somehow, and it can only be ascribed to the Holy Spirit because how else would he know, but he looks at Paul and, and he believes that he can be healed. And then to make matters weirder yet, as these things often are with the Holy Spirit, Paul looks at him and sees that the man has the faith that Paul can heal him. It's pretty wild, isn't it? It's an, it's an amazing thing. Well, now, in, in the story with Peter, Peter commands him in the name of Jesus and grabs him by the hand. Paul, I think Paul, it was a, maybe a COVID thing, or uh, maybe Paul was just a whole lot more like Jay than he was a lot of other people, but you know, he doesn't touch the guy. He ch- he's like, I'm just doing this from a distance, and he just commands the guy to stand up, and the guy is immediately healed. These, these feet that... you. I'm not a medical person, but I, I know that, man, I, I went how many, just six weeks not being able to bear weight on my foot, and my calf went from, you know, like that to, well, anyway, <laughs> it, it shrunk, let me just tell you that. In a very short period, you think of a man 30, say 30 years of age, who's never used his feet. His feet have never borne his weight. How, that, that's the, the, again, both of those miracles are just so phenomenal. I want you to think about, on the one hand, clearly this advances the story of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts because it, it really, it's sort of his bona fides that, that he is absolutely an, an apostle of, of Christ. But also it says something about witnessing to pagans, and that is that they will respond to love and mercy, to the power of God in love and mercy. It aligns with the ministry of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus did? He went from village to village proclaiming the kingdom of God. But he didn't just teach and proclaim, although that was his front burner thing that we see again and again. But in every place where he went, he would heal the sick. He would raise the dead. He would drive out demons. He would cleanse lepers. It was always that. There was always this combination of loving mercy with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Now, you and I are not apostles. And that means that we are not, even people today that claim they're apostles and they're not, uh, do not go around like walking into hospitals and commanding people to get up and, and be healed. This apostolic call, that, that is not operating for whatever reason in the church today. God can do that if he wants to, but we're not seeing that happen in the church today. But the principle here. That, that we need to employ love and mercy. Don't underestimate the value of that. They need to hear about the love of God, but they don't know who God is. You can say God, they just think you're swearing. They, they, they don't put two and two together, but, when, but they will respond to our compassion. So there should be that. There should be that, that opportunity being created, and we should be aware of that and be ready to do that. For instance, say Afghanistan, Afghanistani refugees, just, just as a for instance, would be a way 
of employing this principle. Secondly, they will try to fit you into their categories. They will try to fit you into their categories. What happens next is kind of a cultural, spiritual, religious train wreck. Uh, You talk about people coming from just different places, different worldviews, having different thought categories. Let me give you a little background on the thought category that they're working off of. Again, these are pagans. And they had a story, a myth that, that was told it was, it was a happy myth, a good myth. Uh, it was a, a story about Zeus and Hermes. They came to the region of Phrygia, and you know Phrygia, um, and you know how Phrygians are. Um, they're, just, they're just cold. Um, anyway, uh, so <laughs> Zeus and Hermes go to Phrygia, and, they're, and, and they go door to door, and they knock on doors, and they're like, um, yeah, uh, who is it? Uh, yeah, it's just two, two, two random guys. Oh, go away. I don't want you. Oh, can you, you want to open up and let us have a little hospitality? No, get away. And they did that to a thousand homes, and nobody let them in according to this myth. And then finally they knock on the door. You know, Who is it? Oh, just two random guys. Oh, okay, well, come on in. And there's two older people, and they're poor, and they bring him in. And, and oh, no, we're actually Zeus and Hermes. Ha, I fooled you. And, and, they, and they give them eternal life, and they give, build a big temple, like just a temple just appears right where their house was. And then they go back, and they you know, destroy all the houses that rejected them. That's what these people are working with in Lystra. And then we read this. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Right? Of course. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. Well, of course they did that. What else would they do, given their backgrounds? Of course they assume what else would you? You've got this great story of these two clandestine, uh, you know, sort of undercover boss-type gods going around playing tricks and tr- fooling you, and you better not be fooled because if they, you know, if you don't let them in, bad things are going to happen. You've got that story, and you see these two guys come in and perform this incredible miracle. What are you going to believe? They hadn't read Genesis They didn't know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that God out of nothing called the universe into existence. They don't don't know any of the story of Adam Adam and Eve, man's fall into sin, or any of the rest of that. We need to understand this as well. When we speak to modern pagans, they are not coming from the same place that you and I are coming from. They don't hear the same, we're using English, we're using the same language, they hear the words, but they have, they have whole different categories for understanding. If you say to a person who's genuinely coming from a pagan background that, that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they're going to think, hey man, I recycle, what are you talking about? Because all they know is global warming or whatever else it is that they think is, is, is chiefly the sin of man. They, they have no categories for sin in terms of offending the, the, the holiness of a God who, who made us to, to be his own. So when we talk to them, we have to understand that we can no longer assume today what we once assumed. People sometimes ask was, Christian, was, uh, was the USA founded as a Christian nation? And the answer is yes and kind of no. 
in that not everybody was a Christian and not everybody was a founding fathers, but all the atheists of their day were Christian atheists. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, the God they didn't believe in was the Christian God. They, un- they had the background. They weren't utterly pagan in terms of their understandings. They just had chosen to reject God in many cases. But yeah, we're not in that place anymore. We're not in that place. They're going to need the gospel. That's our third principle. It says, but when the, apostle Barnabas and, uh, the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd crying out. Tearing your robes is a very trendy thing to do in biblical terms. Like, I don't know if you've picked up on that. Um, it's like, have you ever seen anyone do that? And if you have, you've obviously gone to the wrong kind of place. So we'll talk about that another time. But yeah, in, just in random places in downtown Great Bend, I can say this, downtown Great Bend, you don't suddenly see people just ripping their clothes and screaming. I mean, hopefully, you have, you have. And if you did, you would just call 911. You wouldn't think anything more about it. But this was a great way. It was a way of expressing distress. Like, clearly, you're upset about something. It's, it's the equivalent on the golf course of throwing all your clubs into the, into the lake. It, it's that I am really upset kind of a commentary, often accompanying blasphemy which is probably why Paul is doing that here. It's like this is a blasphemous thing to try to offer a sacrifice to false gods in my name having just worked a work of of the Almighty God. That's kind of blasphemous. It's a great way also of just getting attention so that he has a chance uh, to clarify them what is going on here. It's kind of a teaching moment. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and and all that is in them. He's saying, look, we're not gods. And furthermore, and this is the harsh part of his teaching moment. It's like, not only are we not gods, but Zeus and Hermes and all the other idols that you've built, these things that you, and these temples and so forth, that they're not gods either. They're not, they're not gods at, at all. It, he gives them kind of a crash course in monotheism, and, and, it's, and it's hard. It's, it comes down with, with a hammer. Uh, he, tells, he tells them the truth. I want you to notice, though, two uh, little things that are tucked into verse 15 in your, in your text. Is it still up there? It still is. Okay, good. Um, two things. He mentions, A, the good news, that they've come to preach good news. What's the good news, class? The gospel. Gospel means good news. Good news means gospel. So Paul is saying, I've come here to preach you the good news. You're going to hear the gospel. And then right within that, then, he says um, that they have to repent and turn away from, from these things that aren't God. So, so he's saying here, here's the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus died for sinners, was buried, rose the third day. And, and, and what is the response to the gospel? To repent and believe. So, so Paul, in kind of a seed form, without really giving a lot of explanation, he has just dropped that there in verse 15. And I want you to see that because we have to understand, even though we're talking about being patient, we don't want to be so patient that we miss the main point. Our approach to unbelievers, our approach to pagans, is not simply to understand them. 
It's good to understand them. It's good to understand that they're coming with different categories. But if all we were there to do was understand them, then we would be anthropologists. How many here were trained in anthropology and that's your, that's your major? And co- no, okay. Yeah, uh, me either. I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm, 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 not, I'm not there just for the purpose of understanding. Understanding is certainly important, in, but, but it's the gospel. People need the gospel. It's loving to try to understand someone, but if that's all you do, it's not loving enough. The pagan needs the gospel in order that they might have eternal life. So patience doesn't mean shying away from the gospel. The next principle is this. They will need a basic grasp of the living God. So Paul's kind of dropped the gospel and repentance there. Those are the, I mean, that's, that's ground zero. But then he kind of backs up to explain a little more about this whole monotheistic worldview. He says, A living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is almost like a, a, a theological primer here, isn't it? Usually when you, when you open up a book on theology, the, what's the first topic you usually get to? Uh, God, right? Who is God? And, and there's even catechisms that ask that question. And Paul kind of answers this question, who, who is God? God is the one who made everything. He made all all that you see, everything that, 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 that is part of, the, of this world, God made it all, not some pantheon of gods. And this, this God has left himself a witness. And by that he means evidence, evidence of his existence and what kind of God he is. What kind of God is God, according to Paul? Well, he's a God who has been good to you. He is a God that has satisfied you, given you the things that make your heart glad. He's given you the sun and the rain and the crops and the harvest and all of these things. He's taken care of you. And what kind of God is God? God is a patient God because you haven't been walking in God's ways. You've been following idols, and yet this God has overlooked that. He has been been patient. The the gospel does not make sense if, if people understand the world from the standpoint of a pantheon of capricious Greek gods. You can't just just drop that in. It makes no sense in that context. The gospel makes no sense to people if they believe in ancestor worship. The gospel makes no sense if people believe in an endless cycle of reincarnations and, 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 and spirits or, or, or a, a God that, that has no, no personhood to them. These things, have to, you have to give them that that ground and, and context to understand the gospel. Does that make sense? And sometimes we just want to short-circuit it. We want to get to the easy win. And there are easy wins that are not genuine wins. For you, you may have heard these stories. I've, I've heard this story before where a, a missionary went in and he was preaching to people from a very, very different background, many, many different gods, and he goes in, and the first they start by giving a bunch of food to the people, and the people eat, and then they get them all together, and they preach the gospel through an interpreter, and they find out later that the interpreter was saying things like, I have no idea what he's saying, please smile, 
These people have been very nice to us. They've brought food for us. Please show your gratitude. He's asking you to hold up your hand. Please hold up your hand. And the guy's saying, and all who want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. And they, ah, you know, oh, we've, you know, we've had this great, incredible revival. You know, thousands have come to the Lord. And no one came to the Lord. No one even understood the, the first word of, of what was being said. You know, you can, you can share Christ with somebody that's a Hindu and, and, and tell them all about Jesus and they can go, oh, oh, great, I'll believe in Jesus too. And you can walk away thinking, wow, I led that person to the Lord. No, they just took Jesus that you gave them and they went, that's great, and they put him up next to a hundred other gods that they worship. And nothing, nothing about their, their viewpoint has changed. You can preach to a modern American and say, you know, speak about the gospel, and they, and they can say, oh, so Jesus is like the secret. How many know the book, The Secret? You know, any? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of cult-like books out there. It's not written from a religious standpoint, but it's written with the idea that if you just speak your truth out into the universe... I'm going to make a million dollars by the time I'm 90. Um, you just speak that truth out into the universe and it'll, it'll come back to you. And, and people can sometimes hear the gospel. If that's where they're coming from and they hear you preaching the gospel, they go, oh, I can take Jesus and he will allow me to fulfill all of my fantasies. And they've not understood the gospel at all. We need to lay the foundation. Patience in preaching to pagans means we love them enough that we will hang with them and give them the basics so that they understand that our sin is against a creator, holy, loving God. Against that background that God created man in covenant with him and that Adam sinned and, and because of that sin, sin came upon the whole human race and we all fall short of the glory of God. It's only when you give them enough of a background and they understand it that they're going to truly grasp and then respond to the gospel. Does that make sense? Okay. Finally, here, they may not respond positively. They may not respond positively. And that's the, I think this is the part of the, 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 the um, sermon that maybe for us is the takeaway today that will be most helpful when it comes to being patient. It says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Well, that seems natural to me. You can kind of just imagine two of these guys talking to each other. Hey, what did he just say? He said the gods aren't any gods. What? Really? He says Zeus and Hermes aren't, aren't, aren't anything at all and that he did this in the name of some other, I don't know, living god or something like that. Really? Yeah. Well, isn't that exactly what Zeus would say if he healed this guy? Yeah, you're right. All right, well, let's still, let's still sacrifice the bull. We can kind of kill, you know, to go, go to both ways at the same time. I, I, wouldn't you think that way? It says it, that they barely restrain them from doing this. And we don't read about an incredible revival at Lystra. I'm not saying that there were no converts. There clearly were some converts because later disciples are mentioned. But then we, we kind of get the epilogue to the story. So the main, the main event has happened. The preaching of the gospel has taken place. And then we get the epilogue. How many have read, you know what an epilogue is, right? Get to the end of the book, and the book should be done. It's like, ah, I got another chapter here. What the, oh, it's an epilogue. It tells, yeah, kind of what happened. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. 
Poor Paul. He is getting what he doled out, isn't he? Because remember, when he was previously more, more referred to as Saul, um, he would persecute believers and follow them to foreign cities. And now what's happening is on the first missionary journey, he's, you know, he's getting from Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch, and he's moving all around. And as he goes, almost like the wake in a, you know, a, of a boat behind him are, are these Jewish opponents. And they're following him, and they follow him from Iconia, and they get to Lystra, and they're like, why are you listening to this guy? Don't you know he's a lunatic? Don't you know? You know, we Jews, we don't actually try to convert you pagans. We think you're fine worshiping Zeus and Hermes. We don't care about that sort of thing. What's wrong with it? And they get them stirred up. I I don't know if that's what they said, but they stirred them up. And then in just the most... (laughs) concise way that you could relate a stoning I don't it, Luke can be so funny you know we got a whole chapter on Stephen getting stoned um, it's like this is about a sentence of what happened to Paul Paul gets stoned the crowd stones him by the way what crowd are we talking about it's, it's probably almost identical to the crowd that saw the healing of this guy so even despite the, the fact that he's preached the gospel, and who could preach the gospel better than Paul? Can Jay preach the gospel better than Paul? No, all right? No, can, so he, he's the best. Who could have done it better than Paul? No one is the answer to that question. And yet, and yet this is the response. They stone him to death, or at least they stone him enough to think he's dead. I, I I, I would think these people might have had a good indication of, of what it takes to stone someone to death. That means that Paul had had like con, you know, contusions and bruising and bumps and bleeding and all of those things. And so they drag his miserable body to the edge of the city that they dump. I'm giving this more actual uh, shrift than Luke did. And they drag him to the edge of the city and they dump him there. And then they all depart. And it just says the disciples gather around him. What were the disciples doing? By the way, now we know there were disciples made in Lystra. I don't think there were a lot of them, but there were enough to surround Paul. And they're standing there twiddling their thumbs going, what do we do now? Like, we just, we just said yes to this Jesus character, and now his servant just got killed. And maybe they're praying. Maybe they prayed. I don't know. And at that moment, Paul stands up, you know, Reaches down, gets his Indiana Jones hat, puts it back on his head. Didn't, didn't really have an Indiana. Could have, I guess. But, and, and then he, in just this boss move, he just goes right back into the city. Don't you love that? Kind of like, yeah, is that all you got? <laughs> really? Bottom line, if we can say that the pagans, for the most part, did not respond positively. God had been patient with them. For centuries, he had been patient with them. Paul had patiently, carefully laid out for them what they needed to do to understand, and yet they did not respond, at least en masse, they did not respond well to the preaching of the gospel. We need to be patiently bearing witness to Christ in our culture. Here in Great Bend, we need to show loving mercy We need to go to that effort to understand where people are coming from, to get, to make a study of their categories, to really get how they think and then to relate the gospel to them so that they hear the gospel, that they must believe, they they must respond, that they must repent and turn away from all of these idols in their life. They They have to see all of that, but at the end of the day, we have to be 
thick-skinned. We have to be tough. I guess that's what I'm saying to you today that, that would be the takeaway that I would hope for grace is that we can be tough. Paul was tough. You know, Paul was a leather worker, and I think he must have had hide that was considerably thicker than most leather because, I mean, this guy took a licking and kept on ticking. He gets up, he goes right back into the city, but I, I do want to point this out to you, and this is where we're different than Paul. Paul was an apostle, so Paul left the next day. What's the difference between Paul and you and I when it comes to Great Bend? <laughs> we're not leaving tomorrow. If they stone us and we, and we get back up and dust ourselves off, we just come back into Great Bend, and we don't leave the next day. We stay, and, and, and we, keep, we keep on going, and that can be discouraging. That can, that can discourage us. We can be like, where are all the people? What happened? Why aren't we being more effective? Why isn't God? I don't know all the answers to those questions, but I just know that it's possible, and I know that it calls for patience to proclaim the gospel to a pagan world, and that is where we find ourselves, boys and girls. That is where we find ourselves. If you don't know Christ today, I just would say to you, um, first of all, maybe you didn't know you were a pagan. Like, this might have been a really revelatory day for you, like, hey, wow, I... I'm a pagan, so that's what I am. <laughs> maybe you didn't know it. Like maybe you thought you were a Christian, and all at once you're like, "No, I think I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm actually a pagan." Uh, if you're a pagan today, I, I want to say first of all, we love you, and and what we want for you is an ultimate good. We cannot want something better for you than what we want for you. You may look at Christianity as this attempt to just curtail your freedom and pull you in and just destroy every last ounce of happiness that you could possibly have. But actually what we're proclaiming to you is a God who is patient and loving. Every good gift, the Bible says, comes from above from the Father of lights. Every good you have ever known was by the grace and mercy of a sovereign, holy, loving God. And that God sent his son into the world to save sinners. And you are a sinner, pagan. As we're all of we, as we, as we continue to be, and we're, we're saved sinners. We're saved, repentant sinners who believe the gospel. You say, well, what's the gospel? Paul didn't get around to explaining it because they stoned him too soon. But what is the gospel? The gospel is that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, into the world to die for sinners. He died. He was put to death on the cross. They laid him in a tomb. He rose the third day triumphantly. He ascended into heaven. That is the gospel that we have believed. And the call to you is to turn away from all of your idolatry, all of those old categories, to turn away from your sin and look to Jesus Christ and be saved. And, and we desire that for you. We want to be here for you. We're going to be here all week. And Lord willing, next week. And the week after, and as long as God allows us to be in this place, we want to patiently be proclaiming the gospel as long as the Lord allows it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray for uh, an extra measure of patience. You, you've shown us in nature itself, you've, you've shown us in farming, in, in, in that world, that things don't come easy. Not always. There's, there's times when, 
when we sort of get a volunteer crop that, that's just a bumper crop that we didn't really work that hard for, but that's rare. Lord, most things require a long, patient plowing and tilling and planting and rock picking and all the rest. So help us as a church, Lord, as we proclaim your gospel in a pagan world, help us to have patience, and to show patience, to show love and kindness to want the best for people, to want them to hear the gospel, and Lord, to patiently teach them what they have to come to know in order that they might find that hope in Christ. And I pray that even today, someone might hear that and find their hope in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen.